0: Know, it's kind of a bittersweet Sunday like I've already talked about before, and, and the fact that uh, we are losing these these great uh, teens to see, you know, they, we, we brought them along, some of us as a church, some of us as parents, you know, and in, in working together to, uh, to see what they're going to do next, and uh, I know some of you parents i have already talked to you about it, um, but some of you are like, I'm not quite ready to lose them yet, I don't really want them to, to go, and, you know, getting them... To, and others are like, I, it's been a, just a dream come true. We had to finally use that room as a den, you know, or whatever it might be. But uh, there, there's some different thoughts and some different ways. But, but seeing our, our college students and our high school students move on to the next level, it, 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 like I said, it is bittersweet. It's great to see their progression at the same time. It's a sad day for us. Each person will be going to va- varying places. I mean, you heard, you heard each, uh, each different area there. Um, but I really liked at the end of the video that quote from Tom Brokaw. It said, you are educated. Your certification is your degree. You may think of it as a ticket to the good life. Let me ask you to think of an alternative. Think of it as your ticket to change the world. And really, that's what we've been all about since day one at Paragon Church, is to come as you are, to be changed, and to go change the world. And we're asking uh, these that are leaving not to, to think about uh, what we're going to get out of all this, but what can I do with my life? How is God shaping me? What is he going to do through me to change this world? Because it all starts right here and all starts right now. The, the funny thing is, and this was completely not, not on purpose. It was completely coincidental. Today is our assassin, as we've been going through our warrior series and we've been going through the assassins of. Last week just happened to be fear when it was Mother's Day. This week, it just happens to be the assassin of more. And I think it uh, the coincidence in there is the fact that so many times we get so wrapped up in this idea of if I get a better education, then I can get more money and I can be richer and I can be what? I mean, richer equals happier. Happiness. Joy. It brings it all together. And in that thinking, I think today it's a great day for us to be able to, to tie this in because, um, you know, it's a struggle I think all of us have. It's not just for those who, who are the, the teenagers that are getting ready to leave and thinking that if I could just have a little bit more. I remember as a teenager having those thoughts of, of what if I just get just a little bit more then I'll be just that much happier. But it's something that, that you wish would go away but it doesn't. It, it continues to stick with us and it continues to grow with us. And uh, I have came across this video uh, called Confessions of a Shopaholic. It's not the actual uh, movie but it's a literal uh, it was an MTV special that they followed this girl around and they interviewed her on on uh, CBS Morning News. I'd love for you guys to watch it with me if you would. Would you roll up Some on the court? Some people corn?
1: love to shop so much they become compulsive. MTV followed two young women who can't stop shopping even though they could lose everything. I also got a vest and a button up, another scarf like this. I was able to take 20 minutes, get the things I needed, and, and feel. A weight is off my shoulders, so it's, uh, it's a lot better. <laughs> Feel good. Feel good. Joining us is Allie Owen from MTV's True Life. I'm a compulsive shopper and now a blonde. <laughs> and Terrence Shulman, director of the Shulman Center for Compulsive Theft and Spending. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Thank you. Ali, very brave to let MTV follow you around on all yes. these spending sprees. How much debt have you racked up? Um, I'm about seventeen thousand right now. So in two years. 000. Yeah. How old are you? Twenty. And you have a job? Yes. And how do you afford seventeen thousand dollars? Um, a lot of it's um, bouncing checks. So, a lot of it's money that I don't have. (laughs) So why do you do it? How does it make you feel? Um, It makes me feel, you know, alive and um, like I can. You know, I can have anything. Um, I'm as good as anyone else. A lot of it's the fact that I'm insecure. So, um, walking out of the store with, you know, anything it makes me feel as good as the girl next to me. You know, or the but only for a little while. Right? Only for a little while. Yeah. And you need to do it again. Yeah. So, Terrence, what do you think Allie is really shopping
2: for?
3: Well, first of all, I want to commend Allie for coming on, um, particularly at the ripe age of almost 20. I think you're highlighting a growing problem for all Americans and particularly young people. We talked a little bit in the green room, I got to hear her story, I'm looking forward to the MTV piece, and you mentioned how you know, without blaming your parents, you yeah. there was a pattern in your life of being rewarded every time you did Absolutely, something yeah. good or got a good grade and you would go out shopping. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful as parents what we're modeling for, because very inadvertently we might be giving them the picture. Right.
1: Thinking that you're doing a good thing yeah. by rewarding them. You might be hurting them in the
3: moment. Right. And so some of your fondest memories were of going shopping with yep. your parents and getting something, the excitement, the validation. And, and then, so is
1: that where you think that insecurity comes from?
3: Well, we also talked about um, how you, you've been in counseling and therapy mm-hmm. trying to peel back the layers of this. Growing up in a small town and feeling like you never really quite belonged yeah. um, and, and feeling maybe if you had the right things that you would fit in, but yeah. what you found is just the opposite.
1: Opposite, yes.
3: And so you've been struggling to feel where you belong even among your current friends who also like to shop. So I find a lot of people are are trying to kind of find their identity through shopping or through image. Who am I? Where do I belong? And you're in a good process of figuring that out as a young person.
1: How is that going for you? Um, Right now I'm seeing my therapist once or twice a week. Uh, I go to my local Debtors Anonymous group, which um, has been, you know, Surrounding myself with a good support system is absolutely necessary. Um, I have right now paid off one of my first debts. Um, I am Right now, I was about $20,000, so now I'm at seventeen. dollars Good so, for you. Yes. That's wonderful. In the last seconds, I'm, I'm sure so many other young girls watching the show mm-hmm. can relate to how you feel. Oh, yeah. What do you say to them? Have a good support system. Be self-aware. This is a growing issue. Don't look to the media for your self-image. Um, like yourself, love yourself, and know yourself. Amen. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much. Good you. luck. Thank I'll you.
3: Sharon Shulman, thank you. Thank you very much.
0: You know, I came across that video and I thought to myself, how in the world can at 20 years old you be $17,000 in debt? And actually it was $20,000 in debt uh, and she's paid down $3,000 worth of it. And it's one of the things that this assassin of more makes itself very evident in that area. But the problem is, in the assassin of more and in the things that we have, we think instead of pursuing God we think that this assassin of more isn't a bad thing as a matter of fact we have this temporary thinking that it is our savior it is going to save us if I can just get this then I'll be happy if I can just get that then I'll be happy God has provided for us everything that we could possibly need but has he provided for us everything that we could possibly want and is there a line between the two as we look You can go all the way back to the very beginning of time. And that's where this problem started at. Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If you look in your bulletins, it's in there. If not, uh, it's up here on the screen. Follow along with me as you see the the decision-making process that even Adam and Eve made in their thinking of needs versus wants. It says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat of it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it and you'll be like him. Knowing both good and evil, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful. And its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her too, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. The sad thing is, it's all been downhill from there. There was only one thing in the entire garden. One thing. They had everything else taken care of but there was one thing that was off limits to them and they had to have it they had to have it to the point that they were willing to die for it they knew the consequences they knew what was going to happen and greed has taken us over we live in this greedy self-centered world materialism i've got to have i've got to have i've got to have did you know that last year More people filed for bankruptcy than they graduated college. More people filed for bankruptcy last year than they graduated college. What does that say about our desire for more? What does it say? We are greedy. But why? Why are we so greedy? Why do you think that getting rich and getting more is at the core of our human desire? Why do you think that is? And I honestly believe... My answer to that question is this ninja, ninja assassin, this ninja assassin of more. We've talked about the ninja and how they sneak in and they infiltrate the camp, and you don't even know they're there. And when they, they show themselves, when they make themselves obvious, it's hard to get them out. And I think with this assassin, I think we don't really want him out. It's not that we can't get him out. It's that we don't really want him out because we like stuff. And this idea of more that we're talking about isn't just stuff. It's not just the physical, but it's also the emotional. In a couple of weeks, we're actually going to take time to talk about lust and the assassin of lust. But there's times that, you, that men and women, they just want more. They want more of that. They want more in the area of the mental pride they want things that are going to boost their that's what we're talking about next week we're going to have all the kids in here next week for our simple sunday it's going to be awesome we're going to have a lot of fun have some fun worship songs with the kids as well as us all in here and and talk about pride because even down to the littlest kids my kids struggle with pride and the pride issues that are there so we're going to tackle that next week each of these things they change our Our minds, and and they they make our desire something that is away from God. But if you remember, do you guys remember what our definition is of character? Our fill in the blanks here. Character is doing what is right in God's eyes, regardless of my desires in the moment or what it may cost me in the future. Regardless of my desires in the moment. Nineteen years ago, which is crazy to think about. Nineteen years ago, I graduated from Barry Goldwater High School in Phoenix, Arizona. And at Barry Goldwater High School, we got to do all the same stuff and heard all the same speeches that I've heard for the last 19 years and working in youth ministry and no doubt about it, at some point in time, Dr. Seuss comes up in any graduation. I thought, I thought at Cleveland I was going to get away with it until... Dr. Cleveland herself got up at the end and mentioned Dr. Seuss, and I'm like, oh, so close, but a mark, got it. You know, did the, the graduation bingo, the things you know you're going to hear. You have to check them off your list. Um, and in the process of, of sitting through each and every one of those graduations, there's other things I've been a part of, and that is the sitting in a church service and hearing about what graduates need to do and how they need to be pushed and all these kind of things. I can't even remember what they talked about at my graduation thing at my church, but I can remember the gift they gave me. It was a book called My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. I read it, and I didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. King James is very difficult for me. The whole time I was sitting in that, that little commencement ceremony, you know what I was thinking about? I was thinking about, I'm a high school graduate, and I can't wait to get out of here and have fun. That's what I was thinking about. In all honesty, there's some of you are sitting in here doing the same thing. You're... You're thinking about the parent meeting afterwards. For, no. Um, but you're, you're thinking about, I just want to live my life. I want to, I've worked for 13 years going from kindergarten through, some of you longer, uh, kindergarten through, through 12th grade. I've worked hard. I just want to, I just want to have some fun. My desires are to do this. And it's funny because as I, as I thought about it, I thought about what my desires were at the time. I wanted to make money and have things. I had a '65 Mustang that I wanted to restore to make it look good and run well, and it, that's what I wanted. I had, there's a couple other things that I wanted, which is pretty funny now as I think about it. Um, one of the things I wanted to get was a pager. It's 1993. Uh, people didn't have cell phones. There was car phones, or you could get that big, huge brick phone like the guy in Saved by the Bell had. But that cost you by the minute, instead of actually paying for minutes, you actually paid by the minute. And uh, so that was kind of out. I was excited to see the next blockbuster movie, which was Jurassic Park. That's right, uh huh, Jurassic Park. And you know what I was going to do, is I was going to pay two fifty to go see it, because that's what it costs to go to a movie then. I worked at the movie theater, so if I had it at my theater, I could actually go for free. I was trying to get a CD player in my car. Yep, big time get a cd player i only had one cd but i wanted to get a cd player in my car so i could listen to that one cd with that amazing clarity that it had come with it and if it was even a bigger thing if i could just get a car that came with it factory installed i wanted a 1993 gt convertible mustang that's what i wanted With a CD player in it. That's right. And if I could really be lucky, a CD player and a cassette right below it. Boom. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. That's big time right there. That's what I was going for. And we laugh. And the reason why we laugh is because none of those things really matter now. Unless you can find a 93 GT convertible Mustang in good condition, then you might think about it. But even still, you guys who have pagers, I would bet you don't even like them. Because you have them for work. Those are the things that that I desired at the time. And think about the things that you are desiring right now and in 10 years from now. 10 years from now, will they be worth anything? I mean, we didn't even have the internet. Al Gore had not invented the internet yet. And it it wasn't something that was available to each of us. The few people that could get onto it had to take a phone and put it on there. And it was kind of the geeky kids and doing all and it was crazy stuff to think about. As a matter of fact, in 1993 when I graduated, Intel had just produced their very first Pentium chip. Now what are they on, Pentium 75 or something? I mean, it's just crazy to think about the changes, but the things that we wanted and the things that don't really matter now, the things that are now just paperweights, it's going to happen for each of you that are graduating too. And you know what? For those of you who are well beyond graduation, you're thinking about the things that I want and the things that I must have. If I could just have that thing to be happy, it's not going to pay off, and I think you know it already. But the assassin of more is constantly... Working on us. Luke twelve fifteen. Jesus is talking about this. He says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, What should I do? I don't have enough room for all my crops. Then he said, I know I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I'll have enough room to store my wheat. And all my other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The funny thing about this um, passage, the only thing that ever gets quoted are those four words right there. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then you who will get everything that you have worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. How many times... How many times in our life does stuff, does wanting more, to wanting our kids to be better in whatever sport it might be or whatever thing that we say, you know what, God, I'm going to put you on the side burner until I'm done with this, until I've finished working to pay off these debts because I've accumulated stuff or because I want to do things. How has it fallen in? What does the assassin of more do to us besides make us a fool? What well, makes us selfish with what we have? It makes us selfish of what we have. This farmer and his thinking wasn't, hey, you know what? I want to go spread my wealth because I have so much. No, it was I want to build bigger barns so I can have more stuff to brag about. The next thing was is it makes us focus on what we don't have. Well, I don't have big enough barns. I need to build bigger barns. I need to get more stuff. And number three, it makes us embrace the philosophy that I am first which we have since January really hammered to say, you know what, we are not first. As a matter of fact, we are third. It is God, others, and then self. And I'm not saying that having stuff is going to send you to hell, but what I will say is the desire to have more can always come between us and God. It can always come between us and God. We have this, is this what I want? This is what I need? This is where God's at? How am I going to work the three in together? And a lot of times those desires, instead of desiring God and more of what God has, we desire ourselves and more of what we think we need. Matthew 6, 24, I'm sure you've all heard this verse a time or two before. It says, no one can serve two masters. A person will hate one master and love the other, or will follow one master and refuse to follow the other. You cannot serve both God and worldly riches." But you don't understand, God. God, you still understand. I just, I just need, I just need. I'm telling you, in that Mustang that I had as I was rebuilding it, I'm not joking that I wanted a CD player so bad. I didn't even know how we were going to put it in, because the dash then was metal, and it was already had the, kind of set up for the way it was only going to fit an eight-track player in it kind of thing. And um, so having a CD player fit in there, I was going to have to put it in the glove box, but I was doing everything I could to try and figure out how to make it work. And I used to beg God. I'm not even joking. This was a prayer, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but this was a prayer that I had in my life. I used to beg God, God, if you could just get me the money to buy a CD player and put it in my car, I promise I will play Christian music. I used to pray to God that way. Anybody else ever made that bargain with God, those same weird things that we think that God's like, oh, okay, well, here, you know, just rain money down on me. If you're going to do Christian things with it, great, do that. That wasn't ever the case. The thing is, we keep saying, I need, I need, I need. Anybody in here ever seen the movie The Jerk before? Or Steve Martin? If you haven't, there's a clip I'd like you to see about that desire for need. Would you roll it for me, Corey?
2: a diamond so big it's gonna make you puke I don't want to puke I don't want well I just want you like you used to be what happened to that man me? what happened to the girl I believed in the girl I fell in love with the girl I believed in me there's plenty of places I can go where people believe in me. Well, go. The sooner you're out of my life, the sooner I can go back to being the girl in this little flower dress that you say the service song to. Well, I'm going to go then. <laughs> and I don't need any of this. I don't need this stuff. And I don't need you. I don't need anything. Except this. the I tell you, that's Well, what are you looking at? What do you think I'm some kind of a jerk or something? <laughs> and then, that's all I need. The next word, the remote control, is the last name. The
0: last name is the last of the year. How true is that? We just think, if I could only have this, and that's all I need, and then we're just walking, oh, yeah, I need that too. I need, I think we have a real hard time with the definition of what a need is versus what a want is. And I think those, those lines get crossed, and that assassin comes in, and I guess the question I have for you is, when is enough finally enough? When is enough finally enough? How much do we really need to be happy as warriors? As we're learning these training sessions on how to be a warrior and fight these ninja assassins, how can we fight against this assassin? I think Luke 19, starting in verse 1, tells us very clearly how we can fight against this. Listen as I read it. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man named Zacchaeus. You've probably heard about him before. He was a chief tax collector in the region and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus, and he called him by name. He said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be at a guest in your home today, and Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He had gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and as I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this house today. I think one of the things we see here is when Jesus comes into somebody's life and changes their life, the first thing we know is he can relax your grip on stuff. We can relax our grip on stuff. Hebrews 13.5, the message version says, Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have. Since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off, and leave you. When God is a part of our lives, stuff really shouldn't matter. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have nice things. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. But there is something wrong when we find this personal self-worth in the things that we have. And I see it a lot. I see it a lot in the cars that people drive. They will, they will um, feel this amazingness about themselves because of the car that they drive. And I am guilty of it just the same. I've had opportunity to to get nice cars for a day, (laughs) and uh, I I get to drive them. Uh, A friend let me borrow one for. Uh, for our anniversary a couple weeks ago, and it was an Audi S5 convertible with uh, with 330 horsepower and a nice paddle shifter on it. I had it uh, doing uh, some miles an hour down the road over here, and Camden had a smile on his face with his head pressed back to the the seat, and we were having a great time, and it was convertible, and I had some sun on my head, and, and it was amazing and i felt even though it had the car sticker still on it it was a 2011 it was still being asked 60 grand for it and uh had twenty thousand miles on it and i'm sitting there and i'm pulling up next to people going that's right i'm driving a car that's not mine you know (laughs) there is something there's this pride that we take in the stuff that we have but then we forget that that stuff gets old that stuff gets old and i think we start losing The actual meaning of life, when we start putting our self-value and self-worth in the idea that this object is going to make me who I am. Because what makes you who you are is your relationship or lack thereof with Christ. That's what makes us who we are. The second thing we learn from Zacchaeus is we need to know our enough factor. We need to know our enough factor... Philippians 4, 12, and 13, Paul tells us, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. I know when I'm okay having enough. In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. In a book called Your Money or Your Life, the authors did a research project with 1,000 people they gave them a scale from one to five and said, we'd like you to fill out this from one to five, one being your life is miserable, five being absolutely joyous, three being in the middle, can't complain. Fill it out. They had all these thousand people fill it out, and at the same time, they found out how much money they made. And in that, they correlated their response with the amount of money they made, and they found out there's actually a point of being happy there's a point of being happy and if you are happy and you have this each person has it in their life and that's great but for every person there's also they found out a myth they got debunked and that myth is if I could just have more I could be happier if I just had more I could be happier they found out that actually be the opposite that once you have reached that critical state of this is where I'm happy at, once you go beyond that, your happiness and joy actually decreases. Stress actually increases because you're taking on more than you can handle. You're taking on more than than what you actually need. And in that, we need to learn that we have a point when there's enough. When is your enough enough? Where is it at? Are you already over it? The last one I, I think we see here is as Zacchaeus gave all of his money back and he started investing in what God wanted him to do versus investing in what he wanted to do, we can invest for eternity. Invest, invest for eternity. 1 Timothy six, eighteen and 19 it says, do, To do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. It goes on from there. It says, if they do that, they will build a treasury that will last, gaining life. That is truly life. That is the investment that we need to be making. Not in ourselves, not in the stuff that we have, not in the things that we want, but in what God wants from us and what God needs from us. There's a cardiologist named Pim Van Lommel. He's regarded as an expert on near-death experiences. I don't know how you get that title, but he is an expert in near-death experiences. And he says this, nearly every... Near-death experience goes hand-in-hand with a life review during which people gain insight into the consequences of their actions. The life review people experience changes their lives. How, you ask? It says this. They've seen that it's not about power, appearance, nice cars, clothes, or a young body. It's about entirely different things. Loving, love yourself, love nature, and your fellow human beings. Yesterday, I went to a funeral of a man that um, has been suffering with cancer or suffered. He's no longer suffering. Um, since 2006, October of 2006, when he was was diagnosed, Frank was in his in his 80s. He lived a great life. he invested in a lot of people. When I was going through all my stuff last year, he was very much an encouragement for me, and he was in much worse shape than I was. But it's like, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to be fine. You're doing great very much an encouragement for me. But the funeral went two hours. It's been a while since I've been to a funeral that went two hours. And the reason why it went two hours is because there were so many people there sharing about the way that he had impacted their lives. You know what I never heard from any of the people that stood up and shared? Never heard anything about the car that he drove. I never heard anything about the house that he lived in. I never heard anything really materialistic at all other than the golf game that he used to connect with people. It was all about him and people and investing in eternity and creating a legacy for ourselves. How do we get our priorities right for investing in eternity? How do we get past the things? If I were to say this to you, I'm just, I'll just be blunt with you. You may not like me for saying it, but that's okay. A lot of people don't like me. If I were to ask you to want less so you could give more, what would you do? If I were to ask you to want less so you could give more, what would you do? How would you change your life? If I were to say, live with less, Not just want less, but actually live with less. Get rid of some of your stuff so you could give more. And I'm not saying give more to the church. I'm not saying we need to blow up our our, uh, budget offering, giving, all that stuff. I mean, it'd be nice, but that's not what I'm saying. If you could give more to invest in eternity, what would you do? And I think how you respond to that will let you know how deep this assassin of more has got his knife into your back. How deep is it? Able to turn you and make you make the decisions Maybe you are mad at me Maybe you're saying oh I can't believe you'd say something like that I can't believe that's even something that would come out of your mouth You're just a preacher all you talk about money If you've been here more than a couple of Sundays You know I rarely talk about money We don't even take up an offering We just have the box at the door If you feel called to give you give And if you don't then walk by it It's not me to, to try and to guilt you into something like that But in thinking If I were to ask you to live with less So you could give more What would your response be? You see, the greatest question in our life is not what have I, but what am I? Do you realize who you are? Do you realize that if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you are a child of God and that he has given you everything that you could possibly ever need and those wants are coming between you and him and we need to do something about it? It is assassinating our character, it is making us who we want to be versus what God wants us to be. And that goes from those who are graduating high school today all the way up to those who have graduated high school uh, lots and lots of years ago. That is a desire that we have to battle all the time. Are we, do we find our self-worth in God? or Do we find our self-worth in something that's going to, uh, as Jesus put, where the moths and rust will destroy? Where is our self-worth being put at?